And we're going to touch a bit on that today and, and a bit more on what Dave spoke about last week. But also the importance of holiness and integrity. Holiness and integrity. Well, that's an amazing thing to get your head around. You know, we live in a world where especially young people um, have this idea of, yes, I'm a Christian and yes, I'm, I will step out in faith and I'll do what God wants me to do. But when it comes to holiness, that's a bit old-fashioned. So to remain pure before God is a little bit old-fashioned. So surely that bit I can leave out. I can pleasure myself, which we'll look at today. But I can still be a good Christian person. But we're being called to be holy people and accountable. To dig deeper than the surface. Don't just be happy with rolling along. In this country, we're so blessed, but we're also we're able to just go along on the surface where we can be Christians and understand that Jesus died on the cross, but then that's about where it ends. We don't dig any deeper than that because we're not confronted with, with challenging things every day which cause us to dig deeper into the Word of God and grow and learn. To be a witness for Christ, and that's what being holy and being a, a person of integrity is about. That is our witness into the community. And being a useful vessel, and again, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Put your hand up if you believe that uh, this is the Word of God. Yep, amen. It's the truth. Yep, the Holy Spirit brings this to life in our lives. Amen. Well, let's stand and read today's passage then, keeping in mind that you've just stuck your hand up. <laughs> Second Timothy. 3, 1 to 9, and just please forgive me, I have to read off my notes, believe me it came from the Bible, but I'm as blind as a bat and I can't read my Bible at the moment. So next time I'm up here I'll probably have some glasses, because uh, I'm getting, getting to the age where I've, my eyes don't work as good as they used to, but it, everything I'm talking about, uh, trust me, comes from this word. But understand this, Paul writes, that in the last days there will become times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance, appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into our households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Please be seated. As you can see, this amazing bit of scripture we get to look at this morning, you can't really do it justice in half an hour. So I'm not going to speak for four hours. I'm going to speak for half an hour. But as with the rest of Timothy and the sermons that have been spoken, I would encourage you to go home and to perhaps listen to the podcast again, but
but to read this passage and break down this passage and go through those things Paul was talking about. I'm going to go through a couple of them and encourage and challenge us in a, in a few of those things, but really we can't do it justice in the time we've got. So please get home with your families um, in, as individuals or whatever it may be and look at this passage um, further uh, than we can today. It starts off, it says, but uh, understand this, in the last days there will become times of difficulty. If you look at the NIV version, it actually says that the t- there will become terrible times. So maybe this version washes over it a little bit, but Paul is saying here to Timothy, in the last days there are going to come times of, te- it will become terrible times. It's not just going to be a little bit hard, it's going to be terrible. There's an idea of something called decline, and I don't know if you've, you've heard of it or you've been aware of it, but it's when things creep into our lives and creep into our world and perhaps creep into our church, and they creep in bit by bit by bit by bit, and you don't actually know it's happening. I um, love to ride mountain, uh, mountain bikes and push bikes, and I got into um, riding road bikes and, uh, last year, and I you know, built up my endurance and built up my fitness, and there was this ride I enjoyed doing, which was a ride to Ashbourne from Strathalban, and it requires you to go up this hill, and for me, it's like the Tour de France, but for Tim Barnett, it's like a speed hump. (laughs) But this hill is a serious old hill, and it just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And when you get to the top, you, you have a great satisfaction and achievement as you head down into Ashbourne. But I got quite good. <laughs> I got quite good at doing this, this ride over the summer break, and I really, really enjoyed it. It got a bit cooler, and I didn't ride as much. And uh, one day, we got a beautiful day similar to today or yesterday where it was quite warm, and I thought, well, I'm going to go and ride to Ashbourne. So I got on my Lycra, which is a scary thing in, just in itself. <laughs> And uh, I got on my bike and I started riding towards Ashbourne and there was this old dude riding up past the oval and I blasted past him and he gave me some uh, cheeky words. He said, you know, good on you young fella, keep riding. And uh, I, was, I was feeling quite good and I started that amazing climb out of Strathalban towards Ashbourne. I got halfway up that hill and I thought I was going to die. In fact, I probably was fairly close to dying because I looked at my watch and it was, my heart rate was at 183. And at 38, 9 years old, it shouldn't go much more than that before you fall over. And I was only halfway up the hill. So what happened is I actually had to stop. And I had to wait there for not long, probably five minutes just while I recovered and I was able to get back on and get up the hill and get to Ashbourne. But what I'm trying to get at is what had happened in two months I felt exactly the same, I was eating the same, I was still going to the gym with Shep every now and then, but I wasn't riding my bike up that hill. So what had happened, that decline had started in my endurance and my fitness, and I was at a point where I didn't feel any different, but guess what? I couldn't do it anymore. And that's what tends to happen, especially in our world, but what Paul's saying is that's what's going to happen in our churches. That this decline, slowly but surely, these things creep into our lives, they creep into our churches, and before we know it, we sit back and we're like, what's just happened? How do we get back from this? 
Paul lists off, whoopsie days, Paul lists off a, a heap of behaviours and traits that we might find off-putting, maybe even a little offensive as we sit here in church. But I, as I was preparing for this sermon, man, God did some amazing things in my life and in my heart as I was preparing for this sermon. Just the, what is mentioned here. And as we look back in the context in which this is written, what we begin to see is Paul is encouraging Timothy before this to be a strong, courageous leader on how to build up and be a leader within a church that's honoring to God. So we've got to ask the question then, who is actually Paul talking to when he's listing off these things? Why would Paul mention these things about the world when the world's been like it for hundreds of years? All right? No, God instructed Noah to build an ark to fix some of this problem. So what I come to the conclusion and what I believe is Paul's actually talking about what the church will begin to look like in the last days. Not the world. The world's already like it. All right? Timothy doesn't need, didn't need to hear what the world is like. It was already like it. So that then brings in this added weight of heaviness to what Paul is saying here and importance for us and our lives. Paul isn't actually warning Timothy about the world in the last days, as I said, and what we're going to see from in here looking out there. He's actually talking about what potentially could happen in the church, in people's lives in the church in the last days. So he's saying that potentially in the last days there'll be people within the church that are going to bear such things as are mentioned here. They will appear godly yet deny his power. Avoid such people, says Paul. The first one that, uh, that Paul mentions here, the lovers of self. So does that mean that we, we can't like ourselves? What's he actually saying here? If we translate it, it's actually the worship of yourself. That's what he's warning against. And I believe that he probably puts the worship or lovers of himself first because that is the sewer line which all the other things flow out of. There's other ways you could have put that, but I'm, <laughs> we'll stick with that. Worship of yourself is what all these other things, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, all of these other things flow through that pipe. Why do you love money? Because you want to worship yourself. You need money to feel, make yourself feel good. And all of these things, there's nothing necessarily wrong, well, there is with some of them, but particularly money. But if money is what you need in order to worship yourself or love yourself or make yourself feel important and good, then you've missed the point. Why are you proud? Why are you arrogant? Because you worship yourself. You love yourself. You need the power and control over other people to make you who you are. Why are you abusive? These are things that Paul warns against. Because you don't care what other people's feelings are. You don't care how you treat other people. It's my way or it's the highway. 
And if you don't believe that we're becoming worshippers of ourselves, who's got the internet? Yep, everyone. Well, no one. It's truth. <laughs> Keep it that way. <laughs> you only have to look at there's 90% of people who have built a page as a shrine to themselves. It's called Facebook. All right, most people on Facebook love telling you how good they are, what they've been doing. Look at me. Look at me. It's a challenge for me as well. Don't worry about that. I've just had time to process it over the last couple of weeks. But this, what Paul is talking about, is totally normal in the world we live in. In fact, it's actually on high priority for people in the world. Money, to be proud and arrogant, to show people your power. And I own, I own a business, and as a business owner and an employer of people, it's one of the hardest things, and I'm sure other people that are in business understand this as a Christian, how do we in business when the idea of business is actually to make money? You want to show people that you're in control of your business, and you want to show people that you, you know where they're going, and you want to direct them and discipline them if they're not doing things right. How do we do this when it says here, don't become lovers of this? Well, the issue comes is when we start worshipping these things and worshipping ourselves over our Lord and Saviour. In Galatians, Paul also writes some amazing things that should transplant those other things in our life. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified with flesh, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. As a boss and as a business owner, they're the things that I should be approaching life with. Paul goes on after that and says, there's one here, disobedient to parents. <laughs> Aren't we lucky we don't have a church like that? <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> it's going to be difficult, if it isn't already, to be a parent. Kit says, kids and young people, you can listen up, kids, if you want, for five minutes on this one. I've got to cool story for you after. <laughs> but the Bible tells us that the kids and young people will be disobedient to their parents and as the worldly pressures of how we are to bring up a child are heaped upon us, all the right and wrong ways to do things, we tend to stray away from the biblical teaching that we are given of respect, discipline and boundaries of how to bring up a child. Believe me, my children aren't perfect. But when God gives us gifts, he also gives us clear instructions on how to use those gifts ultimately to bring glory to him. Children are a gift. So are we looking to his word 
for our instruction and guidance in the way we bring up our children? Or are we happy to live in this decline where the worldly pressures are heaped upon us? We get confused and we lose understanding of what it is and what it means to bring up our children in a godly way. My father-in-law, he's a great farmer, great man of God. Um, He once gave me, well, didn't give it to me, we were at a marriage course at Murray Bridge Church of Christ. And um, he said, when it came to this idea of children, came into the marriage course, he gave one of the best analogies I've ever heard on how to bring up children. And he started by saying, children, he talks really slow, I'm not going to do, I'll do his voice very, children are like sheepdogs. And I said, oh, this will be good. I'm not going to keep the whole thing. We'll be here for hours talking that slow. (laughs) He said, children are like sheepdogs. He said, when you get a new puppy, the way we train them, or the way he trains them, is he puts them on a very long rope because they show interest in sheep straight away, sheepdogs. And then what he does, he, he wants to teach the dog to either go, it's either round or back, left and right, one of the two. And if he tells the dog to go round and the little puppy it goes the wrong way, he lets it run for a little while and then he grabs the little rope and he tugs on it and the little pup does a couple of flips, lands back on the ground and looks up and looks back to its owner and he's saying, go round and the dog will come back to him and then it'll go off to the right direction. He teaches the little dog to sit when he says, come to heel or when it's out in the paddock, he says, sit down. If it doesn't sit, he brings it back to him. When it does the right thing, he picks it up, gives it a cuddle and says, good dog. He said, that's the way we teach a sheepdog. He said, by the time that sheepdog is an adolescent dog, it's one of the greatest assets that a farmer can have. He said, that dog will do things for you that you can never do on your own. He said, an amazing thing to have. He said, but if you refuse to give that dog direction, discipline and encouragement, by the time it's an adolescent, it'll be absolutely useless. It is said, you will let it go out into the paddock and it will cause absolute chaos. There will be sheep going in all directions, fences flattened, and he said that the dog is absolutely hopeless, not worth the feed you give it, he said. So look out, kids. (laughs) You're going to go hungry. (laughs) So the question I want to ask you kids is what sort of sheep dog are you going to become? Are you going to be a sheepdog that listens to your mum and dad, listens to the direction and guidance and encouragement from mum and dad and become a little person and an adolescent and an adult that's striving to bring glory to God? And as we as parents, are we willing to give those little sheepdogs a little tug on the rope every now and then? Are we willing to bring them up in the way of the Lord, giving them encouragement, discipline and direction where it's required? Or are we going to do what the world says and just let them run amok? Because I coach football at Strathalban in the under-10s and I stand back sometimes and think, what on earth are we doing? (laughs) Kids are running amok. Let's be a church that builds little sheepdogs that are going to bring glory to God. Paul goes on to talk about being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How true is this? So many things that come at us every day of the week 
are actually designed. People spend millions and millions of dollars making them appeal to that part of us that's seeking pleasure in our lives. The quest for pleasure, however, is going to see the gospel watered down and the truth manipulated and changed to suit what people want to hear, see, and feel. And it's already happening. There's churches out there that are already saying, you know, if you come to our church, you're going to feel this. If you come to our church, God will make you rich, He'll repair your marriage. He'll fix this, he'll fix that, and people are seeking all of these things. They're like, well, let's go to this church. Churches are saying, you know, if, if you believe in Jesus, he'll do this. If you believe in Jesus, he'll do this for you. If you give your life to Jesus, you get Jesus. And that's all we need. Because when our cup is full of Jesus, it's overflowing with so many amazing things. All these blessings come pouring out. The world looks in and goes, what is going on in that place? It's because these people aren't here to gratify their own pleasures, but they're here because their cups are full of Jesus. Paul urges us to avoid such people as this. In verses 6 and 7 it says, For among them are those who creep into our households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. I read this and I was thinking to yourself, is this a sexist comment or is this Paul talking about something completely different? And guess what? Paul's talking about something completely different. Paul here is talking about a time where the women weren't actually allowed to go and learn with the men. So what happened is they didn't get all of this truth that that we have available to us all the time. And what happened was these men and ladies that were manipulating the truth to make them, you know, more appealing or whatever it was, would actually go to these places where the ladies were because of their lack of understanding and the culture they were living in, they were easy targets. So their point of view would be heard because these ladies and these women perhaps maybe weren't as educated as the men in that time. However, we don't have an excuse. We have ladies, we have men, we have kids here all able to hear the truth at this time. However... Dave, last week, and we touched on it before, spoke about digging deeper than the surface. If we don't dig deeper than the surface, we run the risk of being like the women in this passage, easily manipulated, not knowing where we're going from one minute to the next, changing with the winds our ideas about what church should be and where we should be going. I pray that we are people that are not easily manipulated and their lives are built upon a solid foundation of truth. Let me read to you from Matthew 7, 24 and 27. It says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, is wise, like a person who builds their house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, 
the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds builds their house upon sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. There is the warning about why we need to dig deeper more than ever today. Don't just be happy with rolling along on top of the surface. We need to have a solid understanding of what the truth is. So now is time for the church more than ever to stand strong. Know what truth is. Testing things against the truth. You know, when things come in, people say, you know, I think this, we should be allowed to do this in our church. And it happens all the time. We see it even today. This is happening already. But do we test it against the Word of God? Or are we just happy to allow it to come in and start infiltrating in like Paul says is going to happen here? Does what people are saying fit with the Word of God? We read in verses 8 and 9, and we're going to get the band up in just a minute. Actually, you can come up, start coming up now. It says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. I think Paul leaves us with something amazing at the end of this passage where he says, but. Because what we can do is if after we hear a a reading like this, we can be sitting there looking around our own church thinking which people here are the people he's talking about in this passage. But what it says to us is that we don't have to come to church with a set of binoculars overanalyzing our brothers and sisters in Christ because when these people come into our church, they're going to stand out. They're going to be easy to see. But we need to be aware that this could possibly happen and this is going to happen. What are we going to do as a church family? Nowhere in this passage does Paul give Timothy a set of guidelines on how to avoid this from happening. It doesn't say this is what's going to happen, but if you do this, it won't happen. So we're not called to calm the storm, but we are called to fill our vessels in our churches with faithful, strong, and courageous people. And even though we might get rocked from left to right, back and forward, And at times we might seem like as a church and as individuals and as Christians, we're taking one step forward and two steps back. But we will be people who refuse to take their eyes off of Christ and His truth. That's the people we need in our vessels. That's the people we need in our churches. Are we today faithful, strong, and courageous people in Christ 
with our houses built upon the solid rock of his truth. Because if we're not, we're going to get very, very confused. I want us to stand together as a church if you can. And I want you to hold your hands of the person next to you or put your arm around them. And I want to pray for this church. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the the warning and the encouragement and the challenge that Paul shared with Timothy and Lord, of course, shared with us. Lord, I want to pray for this church right now that we as a family, my church family, Lord, would resist the temptations to please the world, would resist the temptations to please and worship ourselves. But Lord, we would build our lives in this church upon the solid, firm rock that is you, Lord Jesus. I pray that, that, that Satan would get out. He would have no part in this church and in the people that are here. That we would be strong, courageous, faithful people. That our boats and our vessels and our lives, our families in this church would be filled with those people. And that what Paul talks about here will have no part here in this church. No part in our lives. Lord, I thank you for, for these people that are here. I thank you for their faith. I thank you for their encouragement. And Lord, I pray through your spirit we can continue to strive for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.